Let's open our Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22. I've tried to prepare 22 and 23, and we'll go as far as we can, and if we just get through with part of it, we'll leave off where we uh, come to at the end of the time. Chapter 22 and verse 1. It says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. You know, this chapter has to do with building credibility. Building credibility. And first thing is personal relationships. Personal relationships and putting things with proper priorities. And first here it says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. What's your priority? Great riches are to live right and to do right and have a good name. Your relationship with God and with others and with the family. That would have the proper priority. With God first, with others, and then with the rest of your family. And then really your relationship with yourself as well. So a good name is rather to be chosen. Do you choose that than great riches? And loving favor. Loving favor. It says there, favor is better than, in the marginal reference. Which means it's loving favor is better than, rather than, silver and gold. Is it better than silver and gold? A lot of people would not think so. A lot of folks would think silver and gold is better. But loving favor is better. And then I want us to notice verse 2. It says, uh, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Here there's the fact that rich and poor and God himself is no respecter of persons. They're all the same. It says the Lord is the maker of them all. So what is the rich or what is the poor in the sight of God? Other human beings. And he is no respecter of persons. And then in verse 3 it says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. A person that has proper planning in life, he foresees and he plans in the right direction. And he hides himself. He has the right philosophy in life. But the simple pass on, they just go on and on, never make any plans, never have any uh, ideas as to what they're going to do, and are punished. Then it says, In verse uh, 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. What is it? The, The real riches, the real inheritance comes by what? Humility and fear. And humility and fear of the Lord. It says there's riches and honor and life. These things are are the things that we uh, desire and need in, in life. Riches, true riches, and true honor. And real life. If you remember, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And then in verse 5 it says, Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doth keep his he that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. You want to be far from, you talk about difference of personalities. You, you have two different kinds of people. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. But then the man that keeps his soul is going to stay far from that kind of wickedness. Thorns and snares. This is uh, these things are uh, painful. These things are hurtful. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. You know it's hard for people to continue and to live in sin. The thorns and and uh, snares are in his way. The way of the transgressor is hard. And then in verse six it says, "Train train up a child." Here's here we're talking about building credibility, personal relationships. And we had uh, proper priorities with God and family. We need to walk carefully and stay out of the way of the man that's going in the wrong direction. Uh, The way of the forward. We don't want to go in his way. And uh, then it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. it." Here we have uh, 
parenting is delicate. It's hard to train up a child in the way that he should go. Most of us know that children are bent on doing what they want to do. But it's, it's possible to train them up in the right way. You know, we use the word sometimes education. It means to lead out of. It doesn't mean to reveal anything especially new. To lead out of an individual what he has within him and to help him to see what he really has. And to educate is to lead out of. And as soon as possible, led to the knowledge of the Savior. Led to the knowledge of salvation. Little boys and girls. Sometimes in Christian homes we find children that are saved at the age of three or four years old. And that's not surprising because they've been taught it from from infancy. Uh, Paul said concerning Timothy. And that from a child. That from infancy. The word child there means infancy. Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That from a babe. Sometimes we think that... that uh, Children have to become to the age of 10 or 12 years old before they know anything about what's going on spiritually. That is just not true. Uh, Most uh, Christian families, their children are saved at a very early age because they teach them the things of God. And uh, I trust we don't push them into it too soon. That's not the right thing to do. But lead them into it. And when the Lord convicts them of their need, they'll do it on their own. And that's the way it should be done. So, we're talking about training up a child in the way he should go. I have a little uh, piece of information that I got uh, somewhere. It's concerning J. Edgar Hoover. And he says, Come, you children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is Psalm 34.11. The late J. Edgar Hoover was once asked, Should I make my child go to Sunday school and church? His reply was both scriptural and practical. Yes, said the former head of the FBI. You certainly should. And with no further discussion about the matter. In other words, they go. You may be startled by my answer, but what what do you say to Junior when he comes uh, to breakfast on Monday morning and announcing, announcing he isn't going to school anymore? You know what you say, don't you? He goes. How do you answer him when he comes home covered with mud and says, I'm not going to take a bath? Junior bays, doesn't he? Why all this timidity, then, in the realm of spiritual guidance and growth? You say you're going to let him wait and decide what church he wants to go to when he's old enough. That's a bad decision. Quit your kidding. You wouldn't wait until he's grown up to choose whether he wishes to to be clean or dirty, would you? Do you let him decide for himself whether to take medicine when he is sick? Do you? How shall... We respond then when Junior says he doesn't want to go to Sunday school and church. That's easy. Just be consistent. Tell him, son, in our house we all go to Sunday school and church. And that includes you. Your firmness and example will furnish a bridge over which youthful rebellion will then travel into many rich and satisfying spiritual experiences. Every parent should determine to say with the psalmist, Come, ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Discard, he says, that strip of wet spaghetti you've been substituting for your parental backbone, and take J. Edgar Hoover's good advice. It's been stated, children brought to the house of God are seldom brought to a court of law. So bring them to the house of God. And I think it would be profitable. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Now you say, well, preacher, I've seen, I've tried to train up my children right, and they've gone here and there. But listen, it says, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's something about training up a child in the right way that will eventually bring them back to the place that they need to be. And God's Holy Spirit, they may go through a lot of trials, they may go through a lot of problems, but God's Holy Spirit will convict them when they're in such situations. And if they keep transgressing, the way of the transgressor is hard. If you keep on transgressing against the things of God, your pathway becomes more difficult. Look in the book of Hosea. I want want you to get this. Hosea chapter 2. And this is like the way of a backslider. One that has gotten away from God to the extreme, and we won't give you all the background on it because it's very delicate to deal with. But in verse 6, it says, Therefore, and God is speaking this concern, concerning a, a backslider in general, and a sad situation in home and family relationships. He says, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. God says, I will hedge up your way with thorns. You know, a way can be found through the thorns, but it's very difficult, isn't it? God says, you can find your way. But it's going to be difficult for you if you if you backslide and get away from God. You say, well, how do these people keep going on and on? It's difficult. And away from God and out of the house of God, they're having a difficult time. They may put on a good front before you and say everything's all well. But God's dealing with those backslidden Christians. And I'm telling you, it's a thorny pathway they're going through. It's not all well. And then it says, and make a wall. He's going to make it a place, there, a barrier that she can't, that she shall not find her past. And then it says, and she shall follow after her lovers, and she shall not overtake them. The things they love and pursue, they're going to be disappointed. She shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, and shall not find them. You see? And then shall she say, I, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold which they prepared for Baal. In other words, here's a person that didn't realize the blessings they had when God was in fellowship with them. The picture we're getting. So when you're in fellowship with God, you you sometimes think, well, the world has more to offer, but it's God that's giving you these blessings. The corn and the wine and the provisions and, and taking care of you. And that's exactly where a lot of people uh, get off on the wrong way. So when he is old, he will not depart from it. Back to our thought now. So don't try to get away from God. And don't get away from God. And those that do are warned that there's a difficult way. And it says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And you parents be faithful in doing that. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Look at verse 7, back in our Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Look at that. Now, here we're talking about, instead of personal relationships, family and etc., we're talking about business relationships. We start in and get uh, the things straight as far as business relationships are concerned. And we need to get our priorities straight in the business world as well as in the family life. And the business world, it says, the rich ruleth over the poor. Now look, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, I was taught something when I was a very young man. And you see it done all the time. And I give advice to you young people and you young couples. I took the advice of someone that gave me this advice. 
And I'll just pass it on to you for what it's worth. But I was told never to go to my boss and ask him for an advance on my wages. Because he says that guy really needs, and especially if he's not a Christian man, that guy really needs his money and so I can keep him right under my thumb. He can't do a thing. And you ask for an advance on your wages, and you're in trouble. I don't want anything that I haven't already earned from anybody. I want to already have it coming before I get it. I don't want any advances. So, and, and I took that advice. And sometimes I really, really, really needed it, raising up my family. And I'm talking about going through the seminary, working uh, from 1 o'clock in the afternoon till up in the middle of the night, getting up at 5 o'clock and going to school, three and a half years of that, winter, summer and all, and building a house for my family to live in. And uh, already had one child when it started the school, and Darling was born while we were going, and and a lot of things, and I mean money was hard to get, and all the tuition, all the expenses of college. But God provided a way, but I never asked for one cent in advance until I had earned what I had coming. And I, I just pass that advice if you think it's worth taking. Well, but it says, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Don't be under any man's thumb. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall... In Job chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Whatsoever a man soweth, Paul says, that shall he also reap. Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, listen at this verse. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stalk, the bud shall yield no meal. If, if, it be, if so be it yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. See, there's no advantage to sowing iniquity. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. Then in verse 9 it says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Hadn't you rather uh, give what you have and share it with someone that's in need? God is going to bless that kind of a thing. Second Corinthians chapter 9, let me read verse 7 and 8. It says this. Well, let's read verse 6, 7, and 8. But this I say, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. See that? And it says, in God, what's God going to do for you? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That's a good plan there, isn't it? This I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. If you go out here and plant a field of wheat, and it takes a half bushel or a quarter bushel, whatever amount it is to sow per acre, and you say, I'm just going to skimp on that. I'll just sow about an eight. You're going to have a small crop when it comes up. There's not going to be enough seed there to do anything. But if you sow the required amount and you say, I'm going to make sure there's plenty of seed there. I want to give it a chance to take root. Then you're going to have a good harvest. The Lord blessing the future uh, things that are necessary. But if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Every man as he purposeth in his heart, it has to come from the heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity. Don't ever give anything to God grudgingly. 
Don't ever give anything to other folks grudging or of necessity, as if someone expects it. For God loveth a cheerful giver. You know, the word cheerful there means hilarious. It means that you're so happy to be able to give it. Have you ever come to the place in life that you were, and you wanted to give something to the Lord or to the church, and you were so happy that God had blessed you so that He had made it possible that you could do it? I mean, it really gave you a joy to do it. That's the kind of giving God wants. And as a result, He's going, it says, God is able, and I don't want to dwell on this too long, but look, is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. He's going to make sure that you're able to do what you want to do. I like that. God will bless that kind of giving. Back in our text, 22 of Proverbs, verse 9, He that hath a bountiful life shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Verse uh, 10, it says, Cast out the scorner, now look at this, and contention shall go out, because the scorner brings the contention, doesn't he? Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. The scorner is the instigator of contention and strife. And it says, Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. It says, He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. Look at that verse of Scripture. In other words, it shows that God is able to overthrow the words of those that are transgressors. Don't ever think that uh, God is not in control when uh, bad words are spoken against you or I or someone. He can overthrow the words of the transgressor. He can overthrow anything of the transgressor. But here's the, the uh, eyes of the Lord uh, preserve knowledge, and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. Verse 13, The slothful man saith, There is a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. The sloth, look, the slothful man, the lazy man, always is fearing danger. He says, I just... Have you ever seen folks say, well, you know, I'd go and get that job, but, you know, you know, I, I just can't do that. They'd probably turn me down. They probably wouldn't, wouldn't hire me. Well, why don't you go try it? Well, maybe because you don't want the job in the first place. There's a lot of folks. I'd go get, you know, the lazy man, the slothful man, he's always fearing. He says, there's a line without, I shall be slain in the streets. He's afraid to do anything because he's too lazy to want to do it. That's a sad situation, isn't it? And now we're talking about building relationships. Now, moral relationships. We talked about building personal relationships, building credibility with personal relationships and business relationships. Now, here's moral relationships. And it's a great deal of, of thought on down several verses on this. What about moral relationships? It says, the, the, strange, the mouth of a strange woman is a deep pit. He that is abhorred... Uh, of the Lord shall fall therein. We're talking about the adulterous moral relationships. Well, we could get on to the moral relationships of our day, couldn't we? And most of us would not have to uh, strain anything to identify with it. Because we have people that are living immoral, ungodly, unholy, sensual, senseless lives today with no idea as to how to correct their ways and many not wanting to. I feel sorry for people that are caught in certain uh, traps of the devil and end up in bad situations. But on the other hand, many people just kind of wallow in those situations and don't want to get out of them anyway. You know, it's one thing to fall in the mud, but it's another thing to wallow in it. And you know, God's people are sheep. They don't like the mud holes. The hog returns to his wallowing in the mire. Remember the old 
prize winning at the county fair, the sow that goes to the county fair, or the pig, hog that's dressed up and slicked down and washed up and put ribbons all over, bring her home, let her out of the trailer, out of the pickup, She'll go right back to her wallowing in the mire. But God's people are sheep. And they, they, won't, they don't like that dirty life. And so the morals, building moral relationships. And I think we need a lot of building on it in this day and hour. Most everything you hear on the television is a, a smutty character or an ungodly character or sensual or sexual uh, corruption that's going on. Now then look in verse 15. It says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. You know, we're told, never touch your child, no spanking, because you might warp his personality. I'd warp something besides his personality. But uh, children, foolishness, the word here, foolishness, means not merely inexperience, but rebellion. And when a child rebels, they need to be corrected. And nowadays we're living in a in a very particularly situation because when parents try to correct their children, and I don't mean beat anyone. I don't mean to be to abuse any child. And God doesn't mean for you to abuse a child. God's Word doesn't teach that you should abuse anyone. Child or grown up or anyone. All kinds of abuse are are wrong in the sight of God. Husband and wife abuse. Abuse in the family. But correction, God has chosen as a way to lead us in the right way. And Nowadays, when a parent tries to correct a child, and I realize some of them do not do it in the, in the way that they're controlled by the Holy Spirit of God and by the Word of God. But on the other hand, they're, they're in danger of the, the law enforcement coming in and saying, well, you, you, you smacked that child. Well, there's a place to whip a child. Apply that board, board of education to the seat of knowledge and they'll learn a little bit. And uh, <clears throat> so now... It says in verse 16, He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. Here's ill-gotten gain. Oppressing the poor to get riches. People, Some people do not care how they get their wealth as long as they get it. There's a lot of people uh, in, under that uh, impression that they want to get it regardless of who they hurt by getting. And ill-gotten gain is just... Pleasing to God. And then verse 17 says, Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto knowledge. The right use of these proverbs. What does it do? First, bow down thine ear. In other words, humble yourself in, in your hearing. Being, being willing to hear. And when you hear, what? Hear the words of the wise. Recognize if they're words of wisdom. And then apply thine heart. There has to be an application. Of these words. Thine heart unto knowledge. A lot of people come and they hear. A lot of people know it's the word of God. A lot of folks know that there's wisdom in God's word. And yet they go on out as if they didn't apply any of it to to their lives. You see, God's word can make application to ourselves. It can make application. And we should apply it. And applying it, we put it into practice. And if we fail to apply it, it's just like hearing it. And knowing, you know, James says that a man that looks into the perfect law of liberty and goes straightway, he's like a man that beholds his natural face in the glass. You go into the look into the mirror, and God's word is pictured as a mirror, the mirror of God's word that reveals uh, what's wrong with us. And it says he uh, beholdeth himself, and straightway he goes and forgets what manner of man he was. If I go and look in the mirror, and I've got 
smut on the side of my face and I need a shave and my hair is not combed and etc. I think, well, I've got to give a little attention to what's going on here and start doing something about it. But a man that looks into God's Word and sees all these uh, things that need to be attended to and applied to his life and he just says, well, I'll just forget it. And you go on and live disregarding the Word of God, disregarding the, the, the thing that you know is right to do, well, then you're not applying it. Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto, the, unto my knowledge. In verse 18, For it is a pleasant thing that if thou keep them within thee. How much is retained of it? It's a pleasant thing. Someone says, I, want, I like pleasant things. It's a pleasant thing if thou keep them. In other words, preservation, alert, uh, uh, consideration, and... Uh, how much is retained? How much do you keep? Is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee? They shall withal be fitted in thy lips. In other words, you can keep it and then you'll be able to, to uh, pass it on and communicate it as well. They shall be withal be fitted in thy lips. In verse 19, and we'll try to hurry and get the rest of this chapter at least. Verse 19 says, That thy trust may be in the Lord. A deeper trust. All of these things, what they do? Starting back with verse 17. Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply thine heart unto, to knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. They shall withal uh, be fitted in thy lips, that, that thy trust may be in the Lord. It will bring you closer to the Lord. I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. I have given you this knowledge, this wisdom. And you have a deeper trust in God. In verse 20. Have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge? Has not God given us things to guide our decisions that we make? Counsels and knowledge. We have the knowledge of God's Word. He gives us guidance or counsels. You know the best counselor you can seek out is, is the Word of God and uh, the uh, Holy Spirit of God and the teaching of God's Word. That's the best counselor you can find. But you know a lot of times we go to ones that may tell us what's wrong with us. They try to start telling us wrong, and, and usually mama's at fault or daddy, you know. They blame it on mama if there's no one else to look to. Well, mother probably did the best she could to raise us. And, you know, uh, parents are only as old as parents as children are as children. So you're both learning together. You see, when you're doing a parenting job, you have a little baby there, and you're trying to raise it up. That baby's three, three or four months old, and then it gets to be three or four years old or five, whatever. You're only as old as a parent. You've only had as much experience as that four or five years has provided. And that child's only been there for that four or five years. So you're both equal as far as your relationship is concerned. So parents have to learn how to be parents as they go along. So don't blame it all on the parents. They try to do the best they can. The trouble is nowadays we have so many that are not even uh, emotionally or physically prepared to be parents. These young ones, too young. Way too young. And uh, with no uh, consideration of the, the uh, needs and the consequences of their actions. You take a young teenager that brings a, a baby home and they're 14, 15 years old and they have no husband. And they're going to school. What are they going to do? They can't finish their education. They've got a child to take care of. If they let someone take care of the child, then they miss out on the important things. It's a no-win situation, isn't it? Because they need the education. The child needs to be brought up. Uh, in the first place, it was it was not uh, morally correct for them to have that child out of uh, wedlock. And uh, 
you know, of course, nowadays, that's, you know, you're straight and old-fashioned and narrow-minded if you mention things like I'm talking about. But it's a fact that God expects a husband and a wife to raise a child. God's Word teaches that that a man and his wife, they have children and they raise that child up in the right way. And, you know, sometimes we have unfortunate situations where one of them will not help. We have situations where there are separations or divorces or whatever. And those things uh, happen and we can't help it. But we go on and do the best we can with God's help. But the main thing we see here is that uh, God has given us counsel and uh, to guide us in these particular ways. And we need to follow God's counsel and guidance. Verse 21. That I might... Make thee know the certainty of the words of truth. The strength of the words of truth. God says, I want you to know how certain and how strong these words are. That thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that sin unto thee. Have something stable in your life. And then in verse 22 and 23, we find that God is a protector of the poor. Look in verse 22. Rob not the poor because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoil them. God is a protector of the poor. And in verse 24 and 25, we find bad company. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. You see, you've got to choose the right kind of friends. Bad company here. What does God say? You say, well, you know, I'm supposed to be a friend to everybody. God doesn't say you're supposed to be a friend to everybody. God says, make no friendship with an angry man. I've seen people that they were so angry about everything in life. I mean, everyone was an enemy. Uh, they didn't want to, uh, to do their business right. They just don't want to get along with anybody. I mean, all the city council and all the government officials and the laws of the land are all corrupt. We know there's some things need to be changed, friend. That's true. But you can't just go out and badmouth everything and everybody and be angry about the whole world in general and expect someone to come along. Boy, that's, I'm going to make that fellow a good friend of mine. I don't think so. I don't think so. It says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. You see, God's Word has a lot of wisdom, doesn't it? It sure does. Make friends with the people that you need to be friends with. In other words, you can choose your friends. That doesn't mean that all wicked men and angry men and murderous men and ungodly men do not need to be witnessed to and preached to. Certainly, the gospel is for all this sinful world. And we're to preach the gospel to everybody. But on the other hand, those people that rebel against the word of God and rebel against the gospel of Christ, if they will not repent, you cannot change that part of it. You can give them the message, but you can't change their inward feelings. Only God can do that. And He has to bring His power of the Holy Spirit to bear upon their conscience, upon their will, upon their rebellion, to bring about a change in their life. Verse 26 says, 26 and 27, by the way, don't make reckless promises. Don't say, I'll stand good for it. You ever heard someone, you do this and I'll stand good for it. Well, be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debts. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? See, God's word makes sense. Be not thou one of the strike hands. In other words, don't tell, don't make reckless promises. And regardless of the situation, financial situation of some folks, say, well, you know, go ahead and I'll stand good for it. 
You put yourself in a in a bind. You may have to pay the whole thing. And when you do, they may come and repossess your bed, it says here. And it puts it in a very uh, uh, subtle way to show you that it's, it can take away your very comforts and the, the very necessary things of your life. It can take away everything. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? I mean, that's getting right down home, isn't it? That's getting real close. And then it says in verse 28, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Boy, I like that one. Betraying the past. You know, our fathers from the days of Jesus, days of John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles, we're talking about in spiritual things now, and the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, passed on from one generation of men to another, to the faithful saints of God throughout the ages. And Paul told Timothy, he says, the word that I've taught you, the things you've heard of me uh, among many witnesses, the, he says, <clears throat> excuse me, the same commit thou unto faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. And I'm thankful for the men that taught me years ago and for the ones that taught them and for the ones that taught those before them. Because there have been faithful men and preachers of the word throughout the ages. And they stood the test of fire and of persecution and of all kinds of things. But it says, remove not the ancient landmark. And of course, you could apply that to the, the physical as well as the spiritual. But I, I prefer here to talk, talk about betraying the past as far as spiritual things are concerned. Which thy fathers have said. He says, seest thou a man... Now look, the last verse, and we'll close with this. Seest thou a man diligent in his business... <clears throat> He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men or obscure men. He shall stand before kings. What? Diligent in his business. What is our business? Remember what Jesus said at the age of 12 when they found him in the temple? He said, Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? You and I ought to be about our father's business too in spiritual things. There's no greater work than, than the work of the Lord and the calling and the gifts that God has given you to use in the things of God. And whatever it is, you discover what you're best at and what God wants you to do and pray about it and, and use the gift. Use the thing that God has given you to serve the Lord. And you'll be blessed. Let's stand and be dismissed.